if you'd have told me this is where we were headed 10 years ago or what I would have told you you were nuts because I, I could not I couldn't have imagined we'd ever be able to buy real estate again or that I'd ever want to you know and here here we are with <laughs> with several properties later and we're still we're still chugging along Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Thanks for joining me today. And thank you to all of you who joined us for our extension of Meet the Masters last Saturday. That was a great meeting. Glad to see a lot of you getting started on your estate planning and asset defense plans and things like that. That is really nice. So congratulations for that. And thanks for all of you who joined our live stream yesterday. Remember, we have those every Sunday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern. And joining us for that is always great. This week on Sunday, we've got another great one coming up. So join us for that. Bring your questions and we will answer them for you. And of course, podcast five days per week. So uh, we'll keep them coming. And this is no exception. So what's in the news? Well, maybe you've heard already that Trump has signed executive orders on evictions, unemployment and payroll tax deferral. And he is promising, he says, quote, if I am victorious on November 3rd, I plan to forgive these taxes and make permanent cuts to the payroll tax without saying how Social Security and Medicare would then be funded. But he says, quote, I'm going to make them all permanent, unquote. Every politician is always Santa Claus. They're always giving out the goodies. And Trump is no exception giving out the goodies. Philosophically, well, it is, of course, ridiculous. But from practical purposes, I'm not sure there is much accountability for the spending and this kind of behavior. There's a little bit, of course. There are inflationary pressures, but it takes them a long time to build. And because they are so good at engineering the way, when I say they, I mean the government, the central bank, they are so good at engineering the way they dole out the goodies nowadays that it's much less blunt than it used to be. And with that, they're just much better at, at, at sort of hiding the impacts of it or even making the impacts, well, less impactful. So the money would come from FEMA. Yes, the Federal Emergency Management Agency Fund. Now, this is normally, of course, used to provide relief from hurricanes and, and this kind of stuff. But that $600 a week payment that ended with the CARES Act at the end of July, right? And by the way, we've got a show with an expert on this that is going to be talking about these things in much more detail. Now, you see goodies just being passed out another way from another method. And of course, 
the princess herself, the queen, Queen Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Speaker of the House, called the directives absurdly unconstitutional. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, this is so ridiculous how partisan our society has become, because these are goodies that Nancy herself would absolutely be behind if they were coming from the Democrat side of the House, right? It's just, you can't write fiction this good, folks. It's absolutely ridiculous. So we will see as more and more goodies are promised by the left and the right, and especially during an election year. Folks, we are living in a time where we can literally, I, I think we can hang our hat as the expression goes, we can hang our hat that the cavalry is coming, the Keynesians are coming, the bailouts will always be here no matter what. This is not a world where the people can expect to absorb any real amount of pain. The people, the companies, there's just going to be a bailout no matter what, no matter what happens. This is the world we live in now, folks. We live in a world where uh, there will always be a rescue program of one sort or another. That is the new world we live in. 12 years ago, we saw it with the three giant multi-trillion dollar programs. We've got uh, the Fed at, what, 5.2 trillion in basically uh, money that's just been pumped in, bailouts that have come. And this is the world we live in. But many ask, will it lead to the decline of the American empire, as some call it, the American empire, right? I don't think it's an empire, but in some ways it is. But overall, it's not. So here is George Friedman. And I really recommend you study this guy. I have not had him on the show yet, but I want to play for you a very short clip here and this is from the Brain Bar channel, and uh, they've got some good George Friedman stuff. You know, what he says is, ask the right question. The question, will the U.S. decline? And Friedman says, ask the right question, which to me is another way of saying, compared to what? So let's listen to this, see what he says about it. The United States is unique, in the same sense that Britain was unique. It has domination of all the world's oceans, which no power in history ever had. It has a dominant position in space. It has an enormous economy. It's the largest importer in the world. Even Trump cannot destroy this. So when you look at all those... See, he's, he's throwing out one to the left side of the aisle there. Even Trump can't destroy it. <laughs> I suppose he's talking about free trade when he refers to that. And people say the U.S. is in decline. You have to say, I'm really stupid. Could you tell me where? And then they usually mention Trump. But then they, was, they hated Obama, too. The issue is not the eternity of the United States. It's how long does it take power to decay? What would another country have to do to have the same GDP as the United States? It takes a tremendous amount of intellectual 
So let's look at the, the three economies that could be the competitor to the United States. So, of course, China, the number two economy, Japan, very large economy still, but has been mired in a complete zombiedom for uh, decades now. What would it take for them to compete? Well, they're both very hardworking countries with very bright people, no question about it. China has its oppressive system, and you see money fleeing China, and now fleeing Hong Kong especially, and they just arrested that uh, big pro-democracy journalist in Hong Kong. Bad, bad sign. Not smart China. That was really, really dumb. So we'll see, you know, the, the way you can tell a lot about a society by the way they treat their prisoners. And that was a bad move. Money will flee places with these totalitarian ethics like that. Uh, Not a good move. Not a good move at all, sadly. But regardless, say China did everything right for the next 10 years until 2030. They did everything right. You know the thing they can't fix? Say the government opened up more and communism waned a little bit more because technically it is a communist party, but very capitalistic at the same time. So it's it's a very odd mix. Of course, we all know that. But say they did everything right for the next 10 years. You know what they can't fix? They cannot fix the demographic problem. And you're really going to start to notice that in the next 10 years. So with George Friedman's question here, how long would it take to displace the GDP of the U.S.? And to displace the U.S. being the biggest consumer market, the biggest importer, with the biggest military, uh, with the biggest brand, right? All of these people predicting the end of the U.S. are just out of their mind. They really just, you know, they don't ask compared to what. They just constantly complain, you know. And the funny thing is, they're all Americans, (laughs) you know, Peter Schiff and all the rest. They're all Americans saying how messed up it is. But they've been saying that for 20 years. And guess what? We still have boom times. We still have recessionary times. Life goes on. So when George Friedman now is talking about morality, it's not morality in the way you think of it. Let me just back this up a little bit so you can hear him tee that up. It takes a tremendous amount of intellectual, technical, and we'll call it a moral capability. By moral capability, an obsession with work in the United States. The American empire is work. And that's a very powerful motivator. So work is the American thing. Go to Spain and they're, you know, taking a siesta, right? You know, Europe doesn't want to work. I mean, maybe the Germans, you know, and and some of the Scandinavian countries, they're pretty industrious. But a lot of Europe is just worried about taking more time off, making sure I get four to six weeks vacation every year. And you can't grow as a country. You can't even keep your place in the world if you don't work. Quit it with these 35-hour weeks. You need to be working harder, Europeans. You need to be working 45-hour weeks, maybe 50, maybe 55 So work plus the most respected institution in the United States is the military. And from a cultural standpoint, it's hard to imagine those two imperatives quickly collapsing. And when I say empire, I don't mean the imposition of states. 
I mean that we have invented the computer and all programming languages are in English. And so all of you who want to program a computer will learn English. And the language of aviation is English all over the world. The uh, language of uh, every maritime institution is English. And guess what? Guess what else about American hegemony? <laughs> and this is a big one. The debts are denominated in dollars. And guess what? The repayment of those debts has to be in dollars. So if you want the dollar to be strong, just loan a lot of money to other people, other countries, other companies, and that debt all needs to be repaid in the same currency in which it was borrowed. So all this talk about reserve currency status going away, good luck. And that is empire, not some clown you know, sitting there saying that I am the Pasha of you pray to me. Empire is an empire of the mind. So George Friedman, he's with Strat. I think he's the founder of Stratfor. Okay, you know his his books, America: The Next Century, America: The Next Decade, or The Next Hundred Years, or whatever. I might be mixing those up a little bit. Check them out. They're good, and they really go to show what is going on in the world and a good view of it. All right. So without further ado, let's get to technocracy. Let's talk about technocracy rising today. If you're looking for properties, jasonhartman.com slash properties. Our investment counselors are here and available to answer questions for you, help you analyze 1031 exchanges, help you uh, know and understand the best real estate markets in which to invest for your risk tolerance, time horizon, investment goals. We're here to help you. jasonhartman.com for that or 1-800-HARTMAN. And here is part one of Technocracy Rising. It's my pleasure to welcome Patrick M. Wood. He is editor of the August Forecast and the August Review. He's author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. He's founder and executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's good to have you. Where are you located? Mesa, Arizona, actually, ah. out where it's uh, hot and mostly dry. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, you know, when they talk about the heat in Arizona, I used to live there, and, you know, it's a dry heat, so it's not so bad. <laughs> That's what we all say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good stuff. Well, hey, this is a fascinating topic, and, and your book is just fascinating. You really just cover so many areas of life, of business, of I mean, it's just so wide ranging. But first of all, the word technocracy, where did that come from? I mean, when we were talking off air, I tend to think of it as kind of a, a new thing. And from the angle of the tyranny of these tech companies abusing their power. But how do you mean it in the title of the book? Well, exactly. Technocracy, if you look in the dictionary, it simply means rule by experts, by scientists and engineers. Mm -hmm. But historically speaking, technocracy with a capital T was a system of economic thought. Actually, it was an economic system itself that was designed in the 19, early 1930s at Columbia University in particular. And that was during the heat of the Great Depression, of course. Many people thought capitalism was dead. And the scientists and engineers at Columbia rose up and said, hey, we can do better. We can do something different. 
let's invent a brand new economic system because capitalism is going to die and then we'll waltz in and we'll put this in place and everybody will be happy. <laughs> happy, happy, I guess. Mm -hmm. But capitalism recovered. Technocracy uh, kind of went to the wayside and it stayed in the wayside for years and years until the early 1970s when it began to raise its head again. And today we have a lot of evidence that this original system of technocracy is uh, in play today and still, you know, still knocking on the door trying to replace the economic system that we know and grew up with, which is, of course, um, free market economics, capitalism, free enterprise, whatever you like to call it. So this is uh, this is, you know, the great concern today on, on technocracy is if somebody wants to meddle with our economic system as it has been for the last hundreds and hundreds of years, that's fine. But how about let's just have a real discussion about it to this to decide, is this really what we want to do or not? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I guess the question of is it good or bad, um, we have to dive into this in more detail. I mean, it doesn't seem like we have any experts running the world nowadays. <laughs> so in some ways, I'd, I'd welcome some experts. But, you know, we've got all these these folks that have been sitting in government for decades, and they just keep making the problems worse with their maybe unintended or intended consequences, I'm not sure. And they're they're pushing for just more and more power under the guise of giveaways, handouts, socialism. Are they considered experts? I mean, what the technocracy, who that we all know of would be considered an expert that's like running the world today? Would it be Sergey Bren and Jeff Bezos? Or would it be a Zuckerberg? Or would it be like a government official? We tend to think of it as government, I think. That's right. The common tendency to kind of look at government politics via the government is pretty natural because that's where all the conflict and stuff is. Economics is, you know, the whole area of economics is just boring to most people. And it's like watching the paint dry, you know, in your bathroom or something. <laughs> just, you know, to get me away from here. But it's a really an economic issue. It's not a political issue. The original technocrats believed that politicians were, were incompetent, probably mean-spirited, and they hated their guts. They wanted to get rid of all the politicians altogether and simply create an org chart for scientists and engineers to run the country. This, of course, was you know pretty preposterous according to, you know, just based on our constitution, the political structure we have. But these people really believed that they could do a better job than any politician. Well, that antipathy still exists between technocrats and politicians today. Uh, in fact, a lot of people are mad at politicians today for the same reasons they were in 1932, because they, they looked at as bumbling fools and, you know, illogical and that sort of thing. And there's good, I think there's probably pretty good reason for that. But the technocrats themselves today would look down their nose at the political system and say, you know, it's just flat out busted. It's broken. It's broken beyond repair. Why don't we just get rid of the politicians and listen to science? The mantra today of science says is kind of like Simon says, the old game we played when we were kids, it is the dangerous thing here. Science does not always say what society should do. That's why we have elected politicians, or supposed to anyway. Mm -hmm. So you look at like the Jeff Bezos of the world, you look at the Eric Schmitz of the world, the Sergey Brins of the world, and so on. These people most definitely would be considered as technocrats. They are not Marxist, for, in my opinion. I've studied this quite a bit. I don't look at them as Marxist at all. I look at them as technocrats. They're using technology to, to promote the science of, of uh, uh, social engineering, as they call it, 
where they intend to engineer society and the people in society for their own, you know, proprietary economic interest. And this is not really what America bargained for. In, in the COVID world today, we see people like Anthony Fauci, for instance, standing behind the president with his white coat and his arms folded, mostly looking down his nose. And he would like to basically just say, look, this, just follow my policies and don't worry about anything else. But the, here's the problem with this whole. So, so Fauci would be considered a technocrat. Absolutely, okay. so. And and there's a there's a host of people like that who think that they know better how to run society mm -hmm. than anybody else. Mm -hmm. But here's the deal: the people like the Fauci's that that caused the great panic of 2020, as I call it. You have to ask the question: Who in the world, in the history of the entire planet, who in the world had the the power or the strategy? to shut down and destroy the entire global economic system. Yeah. This has never happened before in the history of the world. Right. And most people aren't paying attention to it because it's kind of economic in nature. Well, you know, okay, big depression coming, that sort of thing. But these people have had an ax out to kill capitalism and free enterprise ever since the early 1930s. And they're still doing, they still have, they have the same motive today that they had back then. And you know, as I write about technocracy today, I say this is the great, this is the clear and present danger of today's world. We need to really worry about these people because why, you know, why are they so intent on destroying the economic system of our planet and and our country in particular? People understand what's going on here, but you and I probably understand it's going on in the whole world right now. It's not just America. Yeah, no, it is. Well, I mean, why would they rush to destroy the economy and, and so many other things? Well, of course, it's always to gain power and gain influence and, and gain wealth. And when these kind of things happen, there are huge transfers of wealth and power. I mean, they're giant in their significance, especially now. And we're continuing to see it. I mean, uh, maybe you can unpack that a little more. Well, absolutely. I, I think about the, this a lot. And because of my background, I'm I'm kind of syncing up of what you just said here. The United Nations has been the torchbearer for technocracy for uh, ever since 1992, for sure. But probably before that as well. What and happened couple, in 1992? Internet? Uh, what happened in 1992 was the Rio de Janeiro conference that spawned, that was a United Nations uh big global meeting mm -hmm. that, uh, that spawned the so-called Agenda 21 and oh, sustained that was a, So Agenda 21 was 1992, huh? I've done some shows on that before. And so maybe you can just tell everybody quickly, what is Agenda 21? Well, it was the agenda for the 21st century, but it, the, the key thing to it was it brought out the, the economic system called sustainable development. That is a resource-based economic system instead of one that's based on supply and demand and, and uh, you know, a price-moderated economic system like we know and understand today. Um, a resource-based economic system is based on controlling the resources and controlling the consumption of people who consume those resources. So it gave birth to sustainable development as a doctrine, as an economic policy, which was identical, as I've documented in my book, to the early technocracy movement in, from the 1930s. But um, the head of climate change a few years ago get, did a press conference in Europe. And uh, she was the head of climate change. Her name was Christiana Figueres. She was the one that drove the Paris Agreement uh, meeting that resulted in the big climate change pact across the world. 
She said in this press release uh, or this presser, and this is a direct quote from her lips. She said, this is the first time in the history of mankind that we're setting ourselves the task of intentionally within a defined period of time to change the economic development model that has been reigning for at least 150 years since the Industrial Revolution. We don't have to read between the lines to figure out what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. She's got this new economic model. The old economic model is inadequate. Mm-hmm. That's capitalism, free enterprise, free market economics. And sustainable development is the new economic system. And she says that the United Nations has an attention, has a time, plan, a time frame, and also the tools to create this new economic development model. And it's called sustainable development. Well, this is antithetic to free market economics completely. Well, they, you know, you know what you know what they say: green trees have red roots. That's right. <laughs> In this red, you know, red implying see, communism. Yeah, I, I know we see this today. You know, every revolution, by the way, has had u- its useful idiots. You know, mm-hmm. we we got that term from the Bolshevik Revolution: the useful idiots yeah. that uh, sure. that thought they were doing yeah, good. Stalin to used to use that. Re- yeah. They were the first ones that got killed after the the Bolsheviks took power, mm-hmm. and uh, they they well, what went wrong? You know, we thought we were helping you. But, well, uh, there, today, there's no shortage of useful idiots. Just go to downtown Seattle, downtown Portland, downtown I, Chicago. They're all over the place now, and uh, you know we've had this this school system that has just discouraged critical thinking. I, I mean, it's shocking. When you watch a, a news program and you see people interviewed or you go on social media and have a debate about anything, it doesn't matter what side you're on, what you believe. It's just the ability to think critically and to weigh both sides of an issue is just that has evaporated. I mean, it has, it has just evaporated. Yes. And this is not I don't believe this is by mistake. I've been following education in general for I don't know, probably almost four decades now. And I have seen the intentional dumbing down of our education system. There's been books written about it. Sure. By very I've interviewed, I've interviewed them. Yeah. The dumbing, the, uh, oh gosh, what were the names of those? I've, I've had that guy on my show. Can't remember, but. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Gatto was his last name. That mm-hmm. was one guy. And then there was Charlotte Iserbit that, uh, that also did a piece on it or mm-hmm. a book on it. But uh, this is legendary at this point. You know, the, the school system has been turned into a propaganda de- delivery system. It's not education anymore. It's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's not critical thinking skills. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not writing skills. It's simply a propaganda machine uh, that, that brainwashes the poor children today into all this social justice, uh, you know, green stuff and, you know, love Mother Earth and whatever and you know, kids cannot, probably there's what, three or four generations now, children who have grown up, who absolutely are incapable of thinking beyond the end of their nose. They just can't do it. They struggle with every basic thought to get through it. And then they end up believing two different things at the same time and think it's okay. It's like, yeah, I, I know. I, it's and, and never understand that there are consequences for everything. So you're making a trade-off. Do you love humanity or do you love Mother Earth or do you just say, well, there has to be a balance between the two, you know, that humans have a right to be here, too, just like all the other animals. And, you know, we have to have some sort of balance. But it's just so I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Well, so tell us about how transforming economics really I think you've addressed that, right? 
I certainly did. And I, I pretty much do it on a continuous basis when, when people are sensitive to economic issues because mm -hmm. there's a sea change going on right now. And yep. most people haven't really seen the distinction because they don't understand the history of it. But when an AOC, that's uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, stands up in Congress and says, we're going to have a Green New Deal, and then she promotes all this, uh, you know, this sustainable development stuff that we're going to completely rebuild and transform America into something different. Everybody laughed at first. They thought, oh, you idiot, you know, <laughs> you know, get out of here. That ain't going to happen. And they looked at her as some kind of radical, radical, radical person. And she, it doesn't matter if she is or isn't. But the point is, uh, since then, since she originally said, propose a Green New Deal, now all of a sudden, Republicans and Democrats are jumping on board. And uh, they're, pro they're promoting various elements, the Democrats especially, but Republicans are promoting many, many aspects of the Green New Deal now. And it's almost to the point of becoming mainstream. And what we see around the world now, I, I look at this stuff on a global basis, all of the stimulus money that's being spent today to fight the COVID emergency, you know, and the, and the shutdown of the global economic system, they're trying to get it resuscitated again. This stimulus money is not being spent on traditional economic aspects that you and I would probably say that's what we should do. It's being spent on green initiatives. And in Europe, they're actually using the term Green New Deal that to rebuild the economic system from the ground up into something altogether different than what we've had in the past. Well, I uh, mean, sadly, Europe, Europe is a disaster. I mean, no one could deny that. Listen, I was born in Europe. I you know, usually go there a couple times a year, and it's just a disaster. I mean, Europe is over. It's uh, it's a mess. Europe has basically, and you know, of course I'm generalizing because each country is obviously different, but you know, it has destroyed itself through big government, socialist tendencies, mass immigration takeovers and political correctness where you can no longer even speak in some European countries. Literally, free speech is gone. And these are countries that consider themselves democratic countries. It's absolutely nuts. But that's happening in the U.S. We're, we see that here, too. And, but if you look at people, and you're right, Europe is a train wreck. But if you look at people like Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, which is clearly a global elite organization, yeah. and Oh, which, no, which, which, I, which I must say, as much as I, I do agree with you, I, I still it's on my bucket list to go to Davos. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to. I, I want to be in the cool club. <laughs> I, I want to go to fly 1,100 jets to job Davos, 1,100 private jets, so I can talk about the environment. <laughs> Such <laughs> right. hypocrites. It's right. unbelievable. Well, Klaus Schwab is leading the pack anyway today, talking about the Great Reset. He uses that word, that phrase, the great reset. And in terms of economic policy, whatever the great reset is, that should be of great concern to folks like you and I. What do you mean by the great reset? Because these are powerful people. They have a lot of influence around the world. Sure. And if they're, planning, if they're planning a quote unquote great reset of the economic system, then I want to know what that is. I want to, you know, could you please define your terms and tell me what you mean by the great reset? What do you think it's going to look like after it's done, if you can pull it off? And a lot of people look at this right now, but what Klaus is talking about is about this Green New Deal type of mentality where, where everything is going to be, you know, swapped over into a resource-based economic system 
away from the supply and demand. And here's the big issue on this. I, I think you'll grasp this immediately. Sustainable development was never really about fair market economics. That, it just wasn't. But what it promotes is a resource grab. It's not a monetary grab per se. It's grabbing the resources. And everybody knows, you're in the real estate business, everybody knows historically wealth is always generated from the ground. That's, it doesn't matter what it is. Everything comes out of yeah, the ground. Yeah, that's the, it. You know, the gold comes out of the ground, the silver comes sure. out of the ground, the oil, the food, everything. This will be continued on the next episode. Thank you for listening and happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.